Welcome to another edition of Two Irish Guys Discussing Software. Here we are in Dublin again. Myself and Brendan Walsh, my good friend. It is episode 30. We're here to talk about something that's very dear to my heart. High performance. Um, Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> we're delighted to hear that. So yeah, January... How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's still dark outside. We're recording early. I know. I know. We're recording early because yeah. we've, we've, we've a cracking guest who's going to join us in a little bit. A very well-known individual in Ireland, a guy called Jim Gavin. Um, I'll introduce him properly later on, but Jim is, knows all about high performance. He is mm-hmm. an All-Ireland football winner with Dublin. He is the most successful ever football manager ever to coach a All Ireland winning team, having won six All Irelands and five of them in a row. Yeah, and he is assistant director now of the Irish Aviation Authority, and he's going to chat to us about high performance. We might link that back to all our favourite friends in the software world. See, you know, can he give sound advice? We've been trying to get these guys to listen to our show now over the last <laughs> last couple of years. I'm not sure how many of our listeners actually come from the software industry. Please do let us know. We'd love to love to hear from you. But uh, and do you like what we talk about? Yeah, that's the that's the plan. Yeah, but before we get into the meat of it, it's January. We start in twenty twenty two. We might talk a little bit about some of the predictions we might think about what's going to happen performance wise in in twenty twenty two later. But um, what's happening? You know, the, the, I tell you what I'm doing next week. You're you're on the road. Probably. Yes, you're always traveling. Well, I actually this will be my second <laughs> trip of the year. I was in pa- Paris yeah. last week. Yeah. And uh, the little trip, but next week I'm doing a two-week tour to the U.S. of A. And Excellent. I'm flying into Boston, and I'm going to meet a couple of customers in Boston, um, a couple of contacts in Boston, and then I'm going to Washington D.C. Never been, by the way. Have you ever been to Washington D.C.? No, I've flown in. Oh yeah, but, but yeah, I have. But but then left. That's it. Reagan yeah. Dulles. <laughs> Dulles. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I made a, I made a route a, to somewhere else. I made a schoolboy error. Yeah. Apparently, Reagan is the closer airport, easier to get in and oh, out right. of. Dulles is a little further away. I think Aer Lingus flies to Dulles, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's the, I think it's the bigger airport, yeah. 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 But, uh, no, that's just, you know, we travel sometimes. You fly places that are really interesting, and then you leave them to go to some other place, other location. Yeah. I'd love to spend yeah. more time there. So we're going over. Do you know what? Actually, one of the things we're doing, we talked about on the show, the free ICT organization we have. Yeah. I'm involved in here in Europe. Um, we're actually going to set up a similar organisation in the good. US. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so lobbying with the lawmakers well, is that the, it? The issues are the same. It's the it's yeah. the high high maintenance costs. It's the end of support whenever they feel like it. It's the uh, forced upgrades and migrations. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna yeah. we're gonna talk to leg- legislators in Washington. Um, we've got a couple of meetings lined up. I won't say who we're going to talk to, just in yeah. case we reveal it to the opposition but we're yeah. going to go in town mm-hmm. we're going to have a chat we're going to talk about the benefits of the circular economy and uh, I, this is this is a good time to talk to Washington might someday get to meet Lena Khan she's such a famous person now uh, but there's so many interesting people uh, on the hill as they call it mm-hmm. I'm going to be on the hill so yeah looking forward to that yeah. it, it is a hill is well, like, is, is, it? <laughs> is that what they call it that's the what hill? they call it isn't it the hill or is it, it because by the time you get to the top Something to do climbing you, up the corporate ladder or something. Well, do you know what? Now I'll tell you what. When Let's I come, find out. well, I'm going to come back and tell you all about that when right, I come back. Take yeah, some pictures. Yeah, yeah. So leaving DC and then heading to Phoenix, going to Seattle, wow. going to LA, back to our office in Dallas, and then home. Holy God! Yeah, that is quite a trip. That's a nice trip, isn't it? Yeah, East yeah. Coast, West Coast. And South. the last time I went, 
I managed to bring home some bit of, little bit of COVID, <laughs> sadly. Great. <laughs> Which is back in November. Well, so. you won't bring it home this time then, no, so no. leave it behind. No, no, I think I'm actually I'm fully yeah, I'm having not been... not talk about that now. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave all that behind. So there, yeah. that's that's why. What about you? Right. Tell, well, us, tell us a little bit about speaking you. Speaking of Paris, I'm heading to Paris yeah. for an event with one of the Irish export agencies, uh, Enterprise Ireland, are having an event on the ter- Monday 31st, so I'm heading over to that because we're one of their... You know, biggest fans and meeting some customers over there as well. Some customers, some partners. So that's the plan. My New Year's resolution: right, meet, meet more people. I'm kind of fed up with the digital world. I know everybody you know? is. Everybody uh, is. Yeah, and yeah. you know, meeting people behind on screens and stuff. So it's exhausting. Well, well here's and, something. Here's something you know, to say to you because yeah. you know I was over there last week. And I and the numbers like the COVID numbers are huge. Yeah, obviously we wouldn't talk about COVID yeah. numbers, but but it is it is causing some. This is what's causing yeah, the challenges. I mean, it's okay. topical, right? We'll, we'll we'll say it and park it. Yeah. But what was really interesting, and I think you'll find this. Yeah. I'm hoping I'm going to find the same in the US. But what I had expected that actually, really, no one's going to meet. Everybody wanted to meet. Mm. Now Good. everyone's being careful and all that sort of stuff. But actually, you know, and there's kind of stringent rules over there. But everybody still wants to meet. Everybody yeah. wants to do Good. business. So actually, I think you're going to find, and I'm hoping the next two weeks in the US will be the same. Yeah, so yeah. despite some That's of the good. challenges, fingers crossed coming out of this. Yeah. You know? Well, I want to meet them, so hopefully they want to meet me. But yeah, so just a couple of days, yeah. and then, uh, but lots go. of trips coming up, actually. So yeah. the good thing about what's happening at the moment, yeah, we've been starved of trade shows. And, you know, we, we are ultimately a software-led company that's behind, you know. Well, we're going to talk a little bit sustainability yeah. and some of the things people say, why do you have to go? But you see, you have to get the combination. You can't not travel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Regardless of whether you you think the airline industry, I mean, the IT industry is, is has, has just a similar carbon footprint mm. as if we talked about this before, yeah. as the IT industry. And the IT industry will, will surpass it. But we're yeah. not that we're just, we want to travel for the sake of travel. But you have to. Mm. You, you know, You've got to meet people. Yeah. Yeah. And it, connect, it, you know. It's not so. the same. Well, we're going so, to talk about, high, I mean, it's part of the high performance engagement, I'd imagine. You gotta, you gotta get out there. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, hopefully, our our customers and partners want want to meet us. So you gotta, yeah, you gotta mix it up, a bit of virtual, but lots of trade shows actually coming up. Yeah. Across the months, across North America, which yeah. are US team, uh, and we've got a new and colleague in France, and we got more colleagues coming in in Germany yeah, and France. So yeah, yeah so we like, we'll yeah. have to go and see him. Well, I'm going to be seeing him. Yeah. When I go to Paris, yeah. we've won a Leon as well. Yeah, yeah. we do, colleague yeah. and Leon, yeah, yeah. On, our, on our team. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so looking forward to getting out there uh, over the next few months. So tell us, let's let's have a chat about what's going on going in on? the software world. I mean, big news this what, week. Well, lots uh, of big news. Yeah. yeah. So we've got what have we got? We've got uh, we've got Metaverse. We've got acquisitions. We have you know declining revenues. We've got salacious rumor. We've got allegation. We've got everything on the show today. Excellent. So, so I'm going well, to have to say allegedly, <laughs> and as reported by other news agencies quite a few times, otherwise we'll end up behind in the dock. Um, but uh, yeah, so big. I think the biggest thing that's happened this week, big news, is really the, the blockbuster announcement by Microsoft that it's going to acquire Activision. Yeah, it's huge. Um, which Call is, of Duty. We all we all know that game. If you, my my son, I was getting into that. Well, during lockdown, it was all about <laughs> Call of Duty, and it was up to me. But uh, the roars and screams and shouts and hollers from my son's bedroom yeah. uh, meant Call of Duty was being was being uh, played. But uh, yeah, Call of Duty. You know, World of War, Warcraft, Activision. What are What are they paying? They're paying. Well, just a little under seventy million, seventy billion. 
dollars. Seventy billion dollars. Seventy billion. That's the is, that's the yeah. biggest acquisition has to be, is it? Yeah, I mean, it certainly is. $95 a share, although Activision wasn't trading, uh, it was trading just around $90 a share, not actually at $95 a share uh, when I last looked at it last night. So that's kind of saying something, but yeah, it's a big, it's a big, uh, it's what, big money. What I is mean, it? Is it? Is it they want to get into the likes, part part of the, the likes of my 11 year old who shouldn't be playing what? what yeah. <laughs> Call of Duty is that they, I mean, they, they already the youth, have they the already youth have, market? Yeah, they already have a big, you know, obviously a big gaming division, Microsoft Gaming. They've got the Xbox console and they've got subscription access to many titles. Let's, on let's the be Xbox. honest, their, their products are really boring. Like it's just yawn fest. Uh, it's like what, Teams, Outlook, Outlook <laughs> yeah. Windows, Surface. I mean, computers. <laughs> I mean, you'd fall yeah. asleep talking yeah. about it. This well, is look, this is exciting stuff. This I mean, is about, I mean, I know it's, it's interesting yeah. to you and I because we're in the industry. But if you, I mean. My, you know, if we talk to people who are not in our industry, they fall asleep when this we start talking is, about Microsoft. This is the battle for the metaverse. Yeah. Right? It's you know, Facebook renamed itself Meta, you know, recently as it's kind of you know just before it gets broken up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about virtual reality. It's about connected virtual communities, engagement online. You know, Satya Nadella's strategy is focusing on content, community, and cloud. So they're yeah. doing very well in the cloud. Yeah. Um, Content, they had a failed attempt to buy TikTok, you might recall, and I think Pinterest as well mm. recently. So, so that kind of didn't work, trying to get into the content world. So they're going after the community, but they're going after the meta community. So mm. this is part of their plan to become, you know, gaming is, is absolutely massive. Uh, they're now the third largest gaming company in the world. So Jeez. Microsoft are now a gaming company. And yeah. they've got the firepower big, to do it. Big I money mean. in that. Actually, that does, it brings up a whole, it opens up whole sorts of doors into kind of online currencies and because oh. there's, there's, there's huge stuff 100%. going on there. Yeah, yeah. they end uh, up being a bank. So they're ahead of Nintendo in terms of the gaming companies, which is incredible, but they're just behind Sony, who are, I think, the second wow. uh, largest wow. gaming company growth. Uh, and Sony, on the back of this, believe it or not, this is incredible, but they lost $20 billion off their valuation on the back of Microsoft. Well, Sony did. Sony did. Because wow. it was seen by the by I guess by the market that Microsoft have such firepower when it comes to buying companies, mm. and you know they're looking at Disney and, and and Comcast and saying these guys don't have a hope they just don't have the firepower, yeah. and so this is getting looked well, at. The, well, the cash they're generating and the valuations of the company. I mean, Microsoft is such a high value. Well, company. like they're a, you know two trillion dollar company, you know. Comcast yeah. and, and, and Disney are probably $300 billion yeah, companies. Yeah. They just don't have the firepower. So this is being looked at in D.C. where you're going yeah. because it's being seen as potentially, you know, is there antitrust, is there anti-competitiveness going on? So okay. it'll, it'll, it's, it'll I'll, be interesting I'll, to see what I'll, happens. I'll report back when I come back. You report back. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Know, and tell me, there was, an, was there another $95 a share purchase well, $95 as well? a share seems, seems to, be to be popular, yeah. So Oracle have, have splashed out in the new year as well, uh, spending just under $30 billion on Cerner, which is the healthcare software yep. uh, business. Uh, so yeah, $95 per share coincidentally as well. So some cynics like ourselves would say that this is a very expensive way to buy a customer because what you might not know is Cerner used to run its its kind of payloads and its data processing in its own data centers. Mm. Um, but a couple of years ago, it started moving its payloads to Amazon, mm. actually running on Oracle, but in the Amazon In Amazon, cloud. yeah. So now that's all going to change. It's all going to shift over to the Oracle cloud. So now you'll have you know, very big business, winning very big contracts, uh, running an Oracle, I should say, Oracle Cloud. So uh, it's going to be its anchor asset to further expand into the market. But interestingly, it's it's saying, you know, it, claiming that it's a good thing for the health sector. It's going to it's going to free up time of the clinicians 
who spend too much time kind of punching in information and manually retrieving Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. I mean, that's, you know, the, that's the story. It'll, I mean, be, yeah. it'll be voice, that's, voice that's, activated. That's the story. I mean, we know what, <laughs> when these big behemoths buy these companies, they really don't do a huge amount with them. I mean, there's very little value there. It'll, it'll so let's not, let's not even yeah. go down that yeah. road. So this we're is, just buying this, a customer. This is buying a customer, and yeah. a great day for the Cerner shareholders. Yeah, as, um, they, did with another, Zoom, as they did with Zoom. Yeah. You know, they, they talked mm. up Zoom, I remember about a year ago, yeah. they were talking up Zoom and what a great company it was. But yeah. only because they were trying to get Zoom to move its processing yeah. from Amazon into into Oracle. So you know, well, look, we love talking about Oracle. We won't talk about Larry this week. Uh, how something we haven't spoken about for ages? I must ask you, what's going on in SA, the SAP world? SAP. Uh, uh, I mean, it's not pretty particularly excited. They did announce their. Uh, uh, they heard they start 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 to make a little bit yeah, of progress. Yeah, no? like they're, oh, they're making, fair. They are. I mean, they've they came up with this you know catchy kind of strapline rise. You know, with SAP, it kind of feels kind of somewhat, you know, evangelical maybe, but rise, like the Phoenix, it's about, you know, how do you shift to your old legacy on-prem, tired SAP environments to the cloud? And so they've kind of got this, you know, lift and shift. Yeah. We can do it fast, better, faster, cheaper. They call it rise. And it seems to have, even though Larry... uh, you know, Ellison kind of knocks it and always claims that he's winning more customers and that going to his clouds than the SAP cloud. It looks like the, it's it's paying off. Yeah, their revenues are up. Uh, their cloud is up twenty six percent. Their overall revenues are up six percent. They haven't made any acquisitions, but you know, Rise seems to be giving them a little yeah. bit of a lift. Good, good. Pardon the pun. So you know, one company we don't tend to talk about quite a lot, but I'm going to start introducing it a bit more frequently, is uh, HCL. Yeah. So, and why? Because, you know, they're now in our crosshairs. They uh, they, they acquired assets from IBM. So we don't mention, mention a lot in the pod. Well, they're quite they, a diverse company as well. They, they are, you know, a very big company. And, and they've also had, to be fair to them, a very good Q3, result, Q3 results, which ended in 2017. But, you know, like all our friends in the big tech sector, it doesn't come without some kind of shadow or cloud. Yeah. Right. And, um, not, and not the cloud in the technology not, cloud. You know, they're, they're, cloud. they're leading the some real type cloud. of cloud. Yeah. So they, they're have, they have very having troubles with attrition their attrition rates you know have doubled to almost 20 percent yeah and for a company like hcl with over 100,000 employees that's a lot of people right 20 percent per annum per annum yeah wow. yeah so yeah, you know that's 20,000 100,000 yeah okay that's a that's a lot of employees so they've yeah. had to replace those resulting in very high recruitment costs so it's impacted their margins and heard, one of the reasons i heard they were uh, are they called someone called them recently they're the ugly duckling, is it? Or there's their name they were given. Oh, that was that was the Kindrel, was it? That was Kindrel. Okay, I'm, I'm giving. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get to those guys out, yeah. at some stage as well. But, uh, I so one of the one of the reasons that that HCR seem to be you know suffering this situation is because uh, of you know clawback of bonuses. So they award people bonuses. They might prepay them for good yeah. reason, and then. They say, well, we're going to, you know, so then they leave and they start to claw them back. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of, you know, there's kind of leaving a bit of a nasty smell around the place. But one HCL executive said that the bonus program was, it was just misunderstood. And actually it was employee, intended to be employee friendly. Uh, except the employees don't see That's that way. A, you know? can, this sounds yeah. like the sort of stuff we've seen before yeah. in, in, in a court case in, in, in California. Yeah. Um, and speaking th- of the court case in California, our friends who were involved in that court case with an employee, was like California, IBM? Oh, I mean... <laughs> and bonuses? Like, which, which one? I mean, sales salespeople not being paid their commission, yeah. age discrimination. How are, I, how are IBM doing? Because um, I, I saw Barron's... Uh, you know the the investment guys who kind of pick stocks and, mm-hmm. and 
their stock pick, one of their stock picks for 2022, as we move on to looking toward this year, yeah. is IBM. They were saying that IBM could be one of the big turnaround stories for 2022. They had a cover story calling it Microsoft Junior. Okay. Would you believe, yeah? Right. And one of the analysts, uh, even though Wall Street tends to be quite sceptical about IBM, mm. as we often do ourselves, mm-hmm. we are quite critical here sometimes, and we like to see a bit different strategy. But uh, a Bank of American global research guy called Wamzi Mohan uh, compared Arvind Krishna to Satya Nadella. Right. Yeah, Satya Nadella, sorry. I should say, it's incredible. That is, uh, but but you know? th- that there isn't general consensus around that. I know. How come they're trading at ele- Well, you see, they're trading at eleven times, or at least they were yeah. at the beginning of the year. The tech industry eighty times, up to up to eighty times. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, um, but I mean, UBS have downgraded the stock to a sell. So there's inconsistency there in All terms right. of you know here. Listen to, I mean, it's, IBM is essentially a second tier stock now. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, okay. You know, like Satya Nadell is in soccer terms, you know, Pep Guardiola. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, Arvind Krishna isn't quite there yet. Yeah, they're a second-tier stock. I mean, they're, they're, they're not the highest performer when it comes to the, to the cloud. You know, yeah. you know, during the cloud era, uh, you know, Ginny Romerty was making a hames of the company. You know, the, the stock was declining. They've got $50 billion of long-term debt. They've got single-digit revenue growth. Their share price isn't climbing very high, maybe 9% compared to Oracle, which is up 40%. So compared to their peers, Aye, they're, 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 it's a bit of a dance squib. And the, the, the offload of Kindrel, we talk, sorry, I touched yeah. on here, that, that is the ugly duckling. Apologies. Yeah. It's, it's it is HCL. the ugly duckling. How could I call HCL? Apologies, HCL. It was a good idea to fair to, 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 you know, to spin it off or to, yeah. or to get it out. I mean, but what but, is it? But is it's, it, you know, it, its stock price has yeah. dropped from $40 to $17. And that's mainly because the shareholders who, who acquired the stock. They sold them. They, they dumped them. You know? And nobody wanted them. There was a dumping spree. But that business has been in decline as well, as everybody knows, for a but long time. But we talked about this before. There's value in that There's company. There's potentially value, yeah. I mean, they're, they're trading at a value of about just below $5 billion of revenues of no, almost $20 billion. Yeah. So if they can turn it around, there is a turnaround story there. I think yeah. there's more of a turnaround story for Kindrel. Than there, than there is for IBM. IBM. I mean, IBM have been talking about this resurgence for, you know, probably a couple <clears throat> of years, you know. But Arvin was on TV. He was on CNBC there uh, just about a week ago, I think it was, and last week. And he was talking about, uh, they, they were on this um, Just 100 kind of uh, c- companies that are the most just and fair in the marketplace. And he was talking about what was fascinating. He was talking about them being serious about sustainability. Mm-hmm. He mentioned sustainability is actually six times in a in a five-minute interview. I've never mm-hmm. actually heard IBM talk about sustainability. It's interesting that these guys are talking about it. They've talked about IBM bringing benefits to society. Um, they're talking about going to net zero by 2030. I don't know how they're going to mm-hmm. do that. I just thought it was... It was interesting that this conversation, the, com- the conversation seems to be shifting. Mm. Um, you're right, though, about IBM. What's the turnaround strategy? We've talked mm. about it before. The, the mainframe, which is such a profitable line of business, declining customers. It's like around the edges. It just seems to be like one of those things you drop in your glass, <laughs> that those Alka-Seltzers, that ju- but it dissolves really slowly. <laughs> You know what yeah, I mean? There's a lot of fizz at the beginning, and then it kind of you know, peters out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's it's hard to see. I mean, they're 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 definitely coming from you know from behind. I mean, you know, the, the sustainability is is top of mind for you know for many CIOs, of course. 
so he probably has to say it. But, you know, and hopefully he's not treating sustainability in the same way that Larry Ellison is treating the healthcare sector, you know, mm. that it's just something you have to say. It, did, it definitely seemed like, I mean, it was yeah. such a surprise to me. I mean, I know we, we talked about it on the last show about, you know, some of the stuff I've seen over in France with, with the push for, you know, digital sobriety and, and sustain, IT sustainability. Mm. That's, a lot, that's a big, big movement. But obviously it seems to be much more so. I mean, you hear about it from many, many companies across the board, just general sustainability, but you don't hear much from, certainly from the legacy vendors. Mm. Haven't heard Larry talk about it yet. Mm. I'm sure he'll True. I'm sure he'll be talking yeah. about it at some stage. There was actually a piece in the Wall Street Journal there about a week or 10 days ago, and they did a kind of a CIO review. Mm. What was interesting is that this is becoming increasingly now top of mind for CIOs, in their business because they're under pressure now. They're under pressure. I mean, for years we've been looking at, you know, there's levels of greenwashing going on where they replace old technology with new technology mm. that's more efficient. And it's a bit like the Moore's Law. Over time, you get to a point where actually that you've got to stop doing that, mm. all right? And I think what one of the things was interesting from the report was talking about that their optimization of the existing data centers is a big, big push for them. I think that plays well for the organization that we are and the industry we're in. Um, because to, to, to extend the life of the technology assets you have in the data center, you're going to have to figure out how do I, what changes do I really don't need to make to the environment? Mm. You know, and not everything can move to the cloud. You know, the cloud obviously sure. can help because some of these, the, the new data centers are more efficient, but the workloads are increasing all the time. Mm. So it's not like they can just take existing workloads and move them. And they're looking obviously at ways to reduce existing reduce energy consumption. You know, we've had things like green coding, but what we know ourselves in the marketplace, increasingly they're saying, okay, how do we avoid making any changes? Once we get to a point where actually we can't structurally change what's in the data, we've got to a point where the incremental changes are not going to make any, any, any difference. I think it's going to be interesting. I think sustainability, you know, we talked last year about predictions. Me, mm -hmm. this year, I think you're going to see, I mean, we've seen it in January. I think when we review this throughout the year, we're going to see sustainability absolutely top of mind yeah. for our executives across the board. I think it augurs well for, for us. I must tell you, I was looking back at our podcast in January yeah. when we were talking about predictions for 2021. Yeah. So remember we talked about regulation. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about regulation. I'm not even sure if the Lena Khan story came out at that stage. Maybe it had. And we talked about there was going to be more and more activity in that area. But interestingly enough, one of the things I did say was China. China. Yeah. <laughs> so in China, we had, I said that they would yeah. do more in regulation. So here's the thing. We look at them in just 12 months. China has gone from being a kind of a cautious and tolerant to um, something that's much, much more severe. OK, there's a huge shift towards enforcement of rules that a competition policy is now much more stringent than you see. Mm. Now, some of it's presented, mm. you know, their antitrust laws, etc., presented as, as a kind of um, protection of the political environment. But actually, regardless of the reasons, mm. my prediction has come true. Yeah, okay, already. Are you impressed? Already, before the end of January. But, well, no, that was last year's prediction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was last year's prediction. I, I think, it was, I think I just, this year's prediction was pretty similar, but... Uh, uh, no, I didn't <laughs> say that. there's going to be more legislation and uh, no, I dropped, know, more just, oversight from DC lawyers. I've just told it's sustainability. <laughs> it's sustainability. Sustainability. Yeah, it's sustainability. And, and high performance. High, and high performance. performance, yeah. They yeah. are going to be well, the that's, thing. Well, that's true. And there's going to be a bit of a, you know, there's going to be an impact on high performance. And we're going to, I think, you know, going back to IBM or 
or whoever it is, Microsoft, SAP, Salesforce, any of these guys, I think high performance and performance is going to be under a lot of scrutiny. I mean, we're already seeing at the beginning of the year, you know, the, the, the NASDAQ under pressure, interest rates or inflation is increasing. I think it's at a, you know, 47 year historic high mm. because of everything. The price of everything is increasing. The price of trucks, cars, secondhand trucks, food, homes, obviously supply chains are under pressure. Uh, wage inflation and that's going to impact i believe uh, heavily on the tech stocks Um, and i think we'll see that so and i think you know only those who can outperform and the high performers will be rewarded so it'll be interesting to see well james James was a prediction i made at the beginning of january about tech stocks will be under pressure and might see there might be a shift away from the to tech stocks to other stocks. Well, here's a fist bump to our, 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 our both of our predictions. We we'll use that opportunity to bring Jim into the conversation. Jim, I I opened the the podcast. I present a little bit about your background. Jim Gavin, welcome. How are you? Are you there? Can we hear you? Good morning, Tomas. Good morning, Brennan. Can you see me and hear me? Yeah, can. You have us up far. You have us up far too early. We're not used. We're not. We're not morning people here. You've probably done a whole day's work. <laughs> yeah, the aviation sector. As, as both of you have travelled a lot, you know, we, we start very early. So <laughs> I, I can imagine you, you two guys in the red eye flights. Yeah, nice yeah. In the corner going back to sleep. The the only difference, Jim, is that we only have to do that maybe once a week or a couple of times a month. You've got to do it every, every day of the week. So. Jim, just for, for our for our listeners, um, Jim, I, I introduced you earlier as Assistant Director of the Irish Aviation Authority, but I guess it's fair to say what you're best known for is your your career as both a player, as an All-Ireland winner in the 1990s, and more recently until 2019, as, uh, and you may get, you must be sick of listening to this, but the most successful foot, Gaelic football manager ever in terms of actually success was at 19... Finals you won out of twenty one. I don't think there's a there's probably a, a coach in any team sport um, at an elite level that that's done anything anywhere. I mean, go f- give me one of those. But, but you probably know them if they exist. You know, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, eighteen out of twenty one. Eighteen. But I take if you want to give me nineteen, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I was count- I think I was counting an and a burned cup. I think there maybe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's interesting. Like success, um, yeah. Some people measure success in terms of trophies and and awards and whatnot. But there's other little successes that you have along the way that you know that aren't that tangible. I, I get what you're saying, yeah, yeah, in terms of the trophies. But you know, there's a lot of managers out there who uh, who are with uh, teams maybe in the lower divisions who, in, in that context, are having success. They might get a promotion to, to the division up, or they might just have a really good season and the, and, and they play good football. And so it's it's different. But I, I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate it. Yeah, no, and actually, that's you, you make a you make a very very fair point, Jim. Because I mean, bringing it to the business context. Businesses, not everybody is a, we've been talking earlier about Microsoft and, you know, they're able to spend $70 billion on buying, buying a company, you know, Oracle spending $25 billion. You know, we, we track stocks here in, in the show regularly and looking at, you know, the likes of, you know, the, the valuations in Apple and all these companies. And it seems that that's the only metric that we hear about in the media, but you're right. The point, I think your point is very valid, isn't it? Every company has a different ways of should have a different way of measuring success in the short term, in the long term. To you know, it's isn't it all about moving the ball up the field, as they as they might say in American football parlance, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah, yeah. That that's um 
that is the key. And, and I suppose that when, when we speak about the, the, the non-tangible pieces, the softer pieces of, of, of leadership, you know, we, we look at the hard skills, the technical competence of your staff, which is really, like, that's crucial. We, in IT, in your sector, being finance, being aviation, you, know, you have to have those hard skills that you pick up from your education, you pick up from your experience, you pick up from your 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 ongoing training, your continuous training. But the softer skills sometimes are harder to measure. And in the high-performing teams that I've seen, those high-performing players, leaders have those softer skills, be it good listening skills, adaptability, and indeed emotional intelligence. And and like they do complement each other. You need you need the hard skills. You know, from what I've seen from high-performing teams and, and leaders you, and organizations, you need a softer side of it as well. So emotional intelligence, you know, self-motivation, self-awareness, empathy, good social skills, all of those in a team dynamic, you need, you, 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 you do need to have. And uh, they do work in concert with each other. You know, they, they, they're, they're complementary. And I don't think one trumps the other. You need both in, in terms of the measuring piece you know that softer side. Some some organisations don't invest heavily enough into it. You, you know, we'll invest in our people in terms of their their technical skill set. The softer the softer skills, you know, are equally as important. Uh, and they're but they're hard sometimes harder to measure, Tomas. And that's I suppose that's a challenge for any leadership group to, is to, is to have faith that they that they are important uh, and crucial for your the success of your organisation. Because you get if you get those bit rights as Bill Walsh, the great. 49ers coach says, and hi to everybody in the in the, in the US who, who might be looking at this later on this day. Bill Walsh, a great 49ers coach, you know, did say, you know, get get that process right, you know, the softer skills, the harder skills, and the results will look after themselves, as in your share price, your profits. Yeah. And one of the things we do, and we've been doing it for the last couple of years on this on, on, when since we started this show, and it's it, some of it's tongue in cheek and deliberately for a bit of entertainment, but there's a serious angle to it, looking at what used to be the champions of the industry, the IBM, mm. Oracle, SAP. I mean, you go back 10, 10, 12 years ago. I mean, they're still huge companies, but then you know, they're not they're not the ones winning the trophies anymore, right? And we're, we're quite critical of some of their behavior. It comes across as often arrogant. It comes across as they don't care about their customers anymore. They've almost felt, they feel like, and we know this from when we go on the street or we go to conferences and we hear back from the yeah. customers and indeed even the media talk about this regularly now these days, that they, the way they're treated is appalling, yet it just seems to me that they they feel that this is behavior they're they're entitled to exhibit, and it's almost the exact opposite of what you just described there. Yeah, that does, yeah. having that growth mindset is, is a crucial bit. You asked me to to, to uh, I know it might, it might cover towards the end some 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 books. I brought some books in, into my office this morning. Here's yeah. a well well worn copy of of Napoleon the Great. Well, yeah, it's really 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 great reading. You can see there as well. It's well worn. I got it for Christmas, Jim. You'd be glad to know. And I've started it. Yes, I did. I, got yeah. it. I asked for it from Santa. Oh, isn't he? It's amazing how Santa knows what you want. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. 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 You must have been very good last year. I was. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> so when you speak about those those iconic organizations, when you speak about iconic leaders like Napoleon, the Roman Empire. Uh, the British Empire, big, you know, a lot of them have have crumbled from from lack of humility, and that's what, as as a, a student of of military history, you know, that's what you see. And the, and from an aviation perspective, and which is the high performing transport industry, 
the last thing you want to hear is in, in somewhere in an organization is well that's the way we always do things you know that fixed mindset that's you know that's just not what you want to hear how does that set in jim how does that how do how do organizations end up like that yeah they get they, they get complacent they get you know comfortable in in their skin and you know when you feel safe you you are unsafe and from a sporting perspective as a as a head coach of a football team or from somebody who's who's involved in the aviation sector that complacency uh, or overconfidence is a probably a better way to describe it when you get overconfident uh, that's when you get lulled into to a, a sense of uh, safety but when you feel safe as i said you 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 are unsafe and it's not you know in an, in in a board meeting not having the, the you know the the tenth man to say well you know uh, maybe, maybe is that what we should be doing, or do you do, uh, you know, your pre mortems? Do, do you ask the, the the what ifs? Do you challenge yourselves enough in terms of your of your strategy? Do you turn it upside down, inside out, which we we do in the football team? Because understanding that that your competitors, be it in the sporting or business context, are you would think your high the, the high performers are doing the exact same, and if you keep doing like from a football team perspective again, if you keep doing what you always did, you will be overtaken because teams are. You know, they're consistently adapting and evolving and looking for that little edge. So when you think that, well, what we did in last year's season or last year's strategy or last year's business plan will be good enough for next year. Well, of course, there's just huge amounts of elements that are. And you take along the good stuff and you 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 look back and you say, OK, what new things did I learn? And maybe what are the things that we need to reemphasize in, in the first quarter of last year that, you know, we kind of we fell off message a little bit. We just need to bring that back up to the surface. So there's a continuum of involvement. So it's not just, okay, the business plan for, and you know that, the business plan or the game plan for 20, 2018 is, will be the same for 2019 and the same for 21 and the same for 22. There is that challenge that Charles Handy wrote in his seminal works, the, the empty raincoat, about that sigmoid curve where, you know, in any organization, if there's a change of management or an, a new innovation, there's a huge amount of growth and learning. And then the challenge is when you, ha- you, you, you apex of that success, what do you do next? Do you, do you keep doing what you always did, or do you say, "Okay, we need to need to need to get into this uncomfortable space of of trying new things and trying to expand again?" So you 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 and, and getting getting comfortable being uncomfortable for me with the Dublin football team was one of one of the key strengths, I suppose, of the management team that we're we we were prepared to sp- step into that space to get different ideas from different people, different different whether be be it from business or sport. And from the players themselves, and try one, try a few, and a lot, a lot of them wouldn't work. A lot of the strategies didn't 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 have su- success on the field, but we might have got some learnings from them. And that's the key bit is 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 to have that continuous cycle of learning, and it's inherent in aviation. That's why yeah. it's so safe. Yeah, I mean you're you're right. Well, because we, we if we think about some of the examples that we've previously talked about on this show, we know about from the industry that that inability to change. Uh, that impacts some of these organizations I mentioned earlier. And then when we look at, I mean, I'll give you one, exa- one example we know about, Brad, we talked about this before a couple of years ago, and you'll probably, you may, may know this, Jim, yourself, just from on a consumer level. About two, two, two years ago or so, uh, if you may, bought your phone, an Apple iPhone, in to get it repaired, and they changed, in, but not through an Apple independent, not through an Apple authorized repairer, and, they, and if they changed a the little thing that t- tracks your finger, it takes your fingerprint. On the next time you updated the software, they actually, Apple deliberately killed the phone, right? 
because they recognize you didn't bring it into a proper, their, their authorized repair, you bought it to an independent repair shop. It went kind of slightly under the radar because there was some other news going on around the same time. But pressure comes on, as you described, pressure is now coming from legislators to introduce more and more kind of sustainable kind of legislation. And now in the last month or so, six weeks, Apple come out and say, actually, we're going to make it possible for owners of phones to repair their own phones or go to an independent repair. So they flipped. To be fair, they've done that themselves. I mean, they've done it under pressure, but they've reacted to the pressure. They've turned their strategy upside down and embraced it. And you look at, say, some of the things that likes of Oracle or IBM or SAP often do, and it's and many others in the in our enterprise software world, and it's almost the exact opposite. They're not prepared to recognize that these things are changing. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's a great example. Um, uh, you might have you might have caught yourself and Brendan's eye there that the, the story about uh, BlackBerry in recent in recent weeks, and and there was a front uh, the front page of the of Forbes. Back in maybe 1997, I think it was. It it showed uh, a BlackBerry, and it says, "Who can who can uh, who can stop the mobile phone king?" Something along those lines. Shatter. And uh, the week previously, the, the the CEO of of BlackBerry was on the TV, and he and he was showing a, a an iPhone, and he dismissed it and said, "You know, what? That's just a gadget. Like that's just, that's a, that's for the market yeah and that 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 fixed mindset and blackberry just the story is that for those who might know blackberry just shut down all their other systems now their support systems for the phone yeah and for such an iconic device and we all had one uh, back in the day for such yeah. an iconic device to, to to crumble again that lack of humility i think would be a part of it but as you say that other phone provider has adapted in this vuca world it's you know we're in a volatile uncertain complex world of lots of ambiguity they've been able to adjust which is again adaptability from a sporting context you know that's that's a key trait key characteristics of, of any high performing business or sporting team yeah yeah no no you're absolutely right and, and we we can think of one that in our in, in our industry we think about ibm predicting with the total market size for pcs personal computers yeah like in the early 1980s i think they estimated in a couple of hundred thousand so you know i, I talk about predictions going wrong yeah. uh, be careful what you predict although myself and brand did okay earlier on our predictions last year about china and uh, <laughs> performance which with, with uh yeah i mean be careful what you predict and, and yeah. particularly if you're going to make a prediction and then back it up with investment and resources because that's yeah I, I kind of bring it back to the thing you talked about there about being safe um mm. i because we've we've talked before jim about you've talked about it you know that's the company feeling maybe safe and maybe a little bit arrogant and then within a business though for a high performance you've talked before about a, is an emotional safety isn't that what you've talked about so there's a psychological psychological safety, psychological mm. safety. Yeah. Is there, you know, so there's clearly there's a difference there. You need organizations to be high performance, to have that psychological safety, but the organization needs to feel maybe slightly unsafe, I guess, always on, 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 on its toes. Is that yeah. the Yeah, so, I'll just, so, so just to explain psychological safety, and, and I'll speak, before I do, I'll speak about trust, which is a huge part, you know, we're talking about, you know, the characters of high performance teams, there's, there's a trust there, particularly from the, say, the leadership group, the executive group on, on, in the business or the, the coaching staff and, and and indeed from the from the coach staff to the players and indeed the, the players or the employees in any business you know that trust comes from it's just really because it's, it's like a feeling I, I can i build trust well i can i can if i show levels of competence of loyalty of consistency of integrity you know 
my team or I will give that, that institution, you know, I'd say, well, okay, they're, that, they're trustworthy. Now, there's lots of institutions in this country that I'd say, I don't trust because they're, not, they're incompetent, they're, they're, they lack integrity, they're disloyal, et cetera, et cetera. Same in business, same in sport. So trust is a huge part of that and, and then being able to rely on, on, your, on your co-worker, be, rely on, on your, on your a teammate that they'll have your back. Psychological safety is, is, is a concept that we have here in aviation. And, and what it means is that uh, we understand that humans, first and foremost, make mistakes. And as somebody who's, who's involved in, in the regulatory space, uh, so my particular role, we, we, we regulate civil aviation, we understand as regulators that, that humans make mistakes. And, and accidents and incidents, we, we, we see them uh, those as, even though they're tragic, they're, they're opportunities for us to, to learn. And as part of, of, our, uh, of our regulation in aviation, in the commercial transport world, uh, if I make, I fly commercial transport aircraft, such as a you know a Boeing or a, or, or, a, or an Airbus aircraft with, with passengers, uh, fee-paying passengers. If I make a mistake on the flight like that affects the safety of the flight, I'm legally obliged, have no choice but to report that. That's just that's the hard law, implementing rule that we transpose into ours. So that, that's hard law. We ha- I have to do it, and that's that's unique in most industries to say. Well, I made a mistake that will affect the safety of a product or the safety of my of my flight or the high performance of, of my of in my my particular area and that psychological sense of safety comes that you know that when you when you do put like in the classroom put a hand up it's not going to be smacked somebody's not going to jump all over me and that but that's based on you know that mistake in the context of the the, the training that 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 that's been put into me my knowledge my my, my skill set in the sporting context it works as well so on a football team you know you understand as a head coach that, that players make mistakes that's just you know th- these things happen not that it's it, it's okay to, to willfully break rules, but we understand that th- you know none of us are well. If you think you're perfect, well, please let me know, and and I'd love to know this, what the secret of, of that individual is. Perfection is like infinity; it's just it's just on the horizon. Like you never get, it, it, we're on the globe, so you never reach the horizon. We just you just keep going around and around the, the, the earth. It's like infinity. It's just oh, perfection is always beyond you, but high performance is within your reach. And to get to the high performance space. You have to be able to learn from those mistakes. And if you listen to Annie and you're in a high-performing business, I'm sure you've, you've made lots of mistakes in your journey and no doubt you, you, you've picked up on them and you've learned from them. And the same in high-performing teams, they have that psychological safety where it's okay to share that message where, do you know what, I made a mistake or I actually think in a team meeting, do you know what, Tomas and Ben, I think there might be a better way to do this. Now, that's just my opinion, but I'm allowed to advocate my position and on the flight deck of an aircraft, when you have two pilots, you've got four ears, four, four uh, eyes, two brains. You want people to, to advocate your position. Even though there is a command structure, there's a hierarchy, there's, a, there's a, what we call a copying gradient. There is a gradient in any executive team. You've got the, the CEO, maybe the you know, experienced people, uh, executives, and maybe not so experienced, but everyone has, has a say. And not that it's a... It's a it's a, a, a kind of democracy. Obviously, that the executive somebody needs to make a decision, but it's informed that decision. Uh, and again, that 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 applies to sport as well. So that psychological safety is 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 a is a key enabler to to grow as an organization. And from what I've seen, you know, in aviation, in my time twenty years in the military, or or in sport, it's a it's a key 
of the high performer teams that I've, that I've touched, it's a key enabler. Yeah. It, it, yeah, go ahead, sir. Yeah, so just, just on that one, one, Jim, I mean, talk about humans making mistakes and presumably psychological safety. I should be able to put my hand up and say, I made a mistake and we move on or we look at why I made a mistake. But you do here in the sporting world, you know, you watch a, ma- a match at the weekend and you hear the commentators say, if a person makes, a player makes a mistake, they're going to see that on Monday morning, you know, Monday morning when they do the video, that player is going to get a roasting, you know, whether it's from Jim Gavin or Joe Schmidt or whoever. And in the business world, people make mistakes. And similarly, they might get hold hold over the coals for that. Is that psychological safety where, you know, I should be able to hear from my, my peers or from my managers that, you know, you did something wrong. I'm like, I'm going to point it out to you in the same way you would, you know, on a on a Monday morning, re- you know, video review of a game, is that is that the same thing, or is it? It's a really good, really, really, really good question, Brendan. That transparency is key. But the good news is for the three of us, you know, we we're leading teams. If our teams are underperforming, the book stops with us. Hmm. So, uh, high coach, team is underperforming, the book stops at me. Player makes and there's you know and, and, and just I'll just briefly talk about this from a sporting perspective. You got kind of broadly speaking two kind of two types of errors. You got technical errors where you know Tomas is passing the ball to me and it's the right choice, but he doesn't execute the pass correctly, be it through the hand of rugby or whatever by, by his foot in soccer. Tomas is it go to the technical skills coach and say, well, what, what what's what's Tomas's training program for his skills? Like it, it's it's I understand Tomas can make mistakes. From, from our organization perspective, what are we doing about that? What, what have we done in the past about? It? Have we identified there's a, there's a shortcoming there? How much training has he received? He might make the pass to me, but you know what? Actually, the, the, best, the better, and, and it looked executed really well, but the better strategy was actually to pass the ball to you, Brendan. So then you go, well, okay, go to the public, probably the head coach in the area. So, well, you know, he'd ask Tomas, why did you, why did you, why did you pass it to Jim rather than Brendan? Does he understand the game plan? Does he understand these policy and procedures in the organization? Does he understand what we need to do in this particular area? Defining the standards of performance are crucial in any, you know, we can talk about the, the result looks after itself, but the bottom line is that we need to, you know, define the standard of what is required. And then have we have we trained our people appropriately to reach that standard? Because you never, you know, as, as, as executives, as an executive group, you know, the organization will never rise to the level of our expectations It'll always fall to the level of preparation and training that we've put into to our teams because they're the ones ultimately that deliver the results. Executives might get, uh, might think they do, but and head coaches might think that they deliver results. The reality is, it's the football players. They're the ones who will who will get the touchdown, get the goal, yeah. you know, get the try. How well they've been prepared by the, the by the leaders, by the executives, by the head coach will be a reflection of how they perform. So then to, to go all the way back to the question you asked me about the Monday morning review, the Monday morning review is to understand, well, why were those decisions taken? And like if somebody did a, a crazy pass in a game, in any sporting game, or a crazy decision in, in a business context, like in terms of gross negligence, that's a different matter altogether. That's like, hold on, what, what, what happened there? But if a genuine errors made but then we need to understand well did you not do you not understand our our procedure for this particular how do we get this particular bit of business how did you execute in that sales meeting that's reviewed we didn't execute the sale okay well let's talk through that sale meeting and did you follow the following procedure we have or the way we, we we do our business and that's 
that's the that's the bit, that's the bit you want to learn from. So it's understanding that it's it's that that two way conversation, or if it's in a, in a group dynamic, it's all about trying to understand what happened, why it happened, and then let's 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 try and uh, make not sure that it won't happen again, but that we learn from it. And then so the next next meeting, we're in a much better place. So the next football match we're playing, we're in a better place to execute our standard of performance in that particular area. Yeah. And I I, sus- I suspect as well, Jim that many of the big companies that we criticize here in the show had a lot of that in their business on the way up and it seems to have fallen apart. They've lost it yeah. at this point. And that kind of actually what you point out with the psychological safety and the link to trust, actually when you think of it from a customer perspective, and many people listening to on the show are actually customers of these big companies. Yeah. They've actually lost trust in them. It's not what it is. It's actually they've lost the trust of their customers, they've lost the trust of the market. We've talked about their share price and of many of these big software companies. You know, the ones that are doing well still retain the trust. Mm. You know, we've talked <clears> about <throat> Microsoft, some of their products are boring, but people trust them, you know? Whereas yeah, they- and, and because maybe tomorrow that they have like the bit that they have, there's clarity on that standard performance, be it customer interaction, you know, quality of product. At, uh, out of our service, all this clarity in what we need as an organization. This is what this is our standard performance. This is what yeah. it is. Yeah. It's, and we don't want you to go to, to go below it. Or just that, that is that is our standard. That's what's that, that's what's recorded on there. And, and as you say, some organizations they get bigger or have a lot of success and begin to lose that edge, or lose mm. that clarity. And again, yeah. maybe the success creates a little bit of I'm going to say not lack of visibility, but there's kind of fog around it. What exactly it is. And the really good head coaches, executives kind of keep going after this is what's expected around here. You know, I want to have, you know, we know what we're talking about. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I think it's 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 a it's a cracking way to, to, to wrap up the show. And I think it's a, it's a poignant point to all remember. And uh, yeah, we, we've always said like, we wonder, do they listen to our show? They should listen to some of this. It's good advice here. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. But it's, but it's, and it goes back to that principle, like, uh, you know, sometimes when you get comfortable and you, the great Michelangelo phrase of, if you know how, if you know how hard, how much hard work went into this, you know, you wouldn't call it a genius. And I mean, that's a fella who's, <laughs> who's a bit like Bono. You just call it, it's Bono, Michelangelo. Um, you know that they're, they're famous people like they're they're I'm sure Bono is an artist, but it's huge amount of work makes it look easy on the stage. Yeah, behind the scenes, hours and hours of 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 preparation and hard work, and that that's that's again when people begin to feel a little bit safe that they they forget all the the hard work and grafting that goes into into executing the performance. Yeah, so it's not easy. It's not it's not easy. It never, you know, people say it's an easy All Ireland. You want an easy All Ireland championship there. Hey, I've never seen an easy one. Never. No, there isn't. There isn't an easy quarter. There isn't an easy no. All Ireland. There's no, no. nothing easy. No. Yeah, absolutely. Do you you brought you showed us the book there, Napoleon the Great, and that's a recommendation oh, yeah. you gave me before Christmas. I have that. I've started it. Um, I've read the first couple of chapters. I'm loving it already. It's it's actually for a, for a book on for, for about an amazing man. It's a historical book. Um, I thought it was more, going to be more academic. It's quite entertaining. It's well written. You have. I, you, I was going to. Did you have it? You had another one as well, did you? I've another. I've another um, we were talking about softer skills there. Anton from Daniel Goleman, G O L E M A N. Daniel Goleman is wor- well worth the read. Yeah. I'm not saying like when you talk about softer skills, like when they were, use the word softer skills, like decision making, your decision making process is part of your softer skills. They might, you might have to make a hard decision 
on the business plan, on on an employee, on, on an employee, you know, tough decisions. But so it's not just the word software kind of, I think can sometimes be a little misleading. So I'm most intelligent, I, I, I know we're wrapping up now. Another great book is, uh, again, business book is, is, good, is good to great, Jim Collins. I'm sure, I'm sure you've, you've come across yes. it. Really, really good. The bit I, I would, you know, when, when, when I'm reading books, like you're, you're tagging it, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're taking notes. You're, you're, for me, that's, that's my technique. Good to great is, 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 is a super book. And I just, I just wrote down some, some, some three, three points from Jim Collins, his book. Yeah, please. Which I think in the context of uh, ties nicely into, into what we're talking about. You're talking about some of those iconic organizations uh, are just crumbling. He spoke about greatness is not a function of circumstance. Greatness turns out in largely a matter of conscious choice. So those conscious choices to have that fixed, have that, do you have a fixed or growth mindset? Are you prepared to be, be uncomfortable and step into that, that, that space of developing your organization? Are you prepared to, to, to put training into your, into your, into your people? continuously to help them grow and develop as not only as as employees but as people as well because what i found in, in in the sport and in the business context as well is that when you grow develop the person you know the, the, it has massive benefits to your to your your organization be it sporting or otherwise the second bit that the second bit of the book was good to great companies focus on this is a really key one and the same in sport as well so great companies focus on what not to do and what to stop doing equally as, as what to do to become great. So from a football perspective, it might be a particular strategy. From a double perspective, we weren't, you know, if we, where we are counter-attacking team, no, inherently we're, it's in, a, in, in the players' kind of DNA in a club football in Dublin, it's a kind of attacking brand of football. But what, what do you do? What do you do really well? Jim Collins would say the really good companies focus in on that. And the other stuff, they just cut away the fat. And the last bit I'll say is, and I think this is really good, really good and I'll finish up on this, good to great companies build on a consistent system with clear constraints, but they give people the freedom and responsibility with the framework, uh, within the framework of the system. They hire self-disciplined people who don't need to be managed. Executives manage the system, not the people. And in high-performing teams that I've seen, and, and, and the pandemic is probably paradoxically given us the opportunity to, to, to step into the space about if there was one, if there was one word, I, I would say in the in the in the leash of lexicon that I do lose is you know leaders have control. Well, leaders shouldn't have control. Control should be with the employees, should be with the football team. You create that framework, and you manage the system for them to, for them to operate within. Within that, you you give them because you, if you if you've trained them well enough, and you've had absolute clarity on the performance standard, and you support them and give them all the assets and give them all the tools and give them all the encouragement. Well, then over to you. Execute the game plan. I'll give you the support. I'll give the feedback. I'll encourage you. And in the, in the remote working new world that we live in, the hybrid world, it, it's people want to own their context. They want to work late at night. They want to work first thing in the morning and have the day done by 12 o'clock. That's fine. Once you can execute, that's your context. Now, here's, this is your task. Now, here's the performance standard. Now, off you go. And mm. the same with the, with the football teams that, that I'd managed. That was the kind of the concept as the self-discipline people are... Uh, which is cru crucial in your HR, HR officer, uh, director is probably the most important person in the organization. Get the right, getting the right people on the bus and the people mm -hmm. who want to want to grow and want to learn and who, are, who have that self-discipline that you don't have to keep people looking over your shoulder and to be in control. You know, keep that, and that's, the, that's the, the leadership paradox that this world of, and hopefully we've we come out of this pandemic, that this world has, has forced leaders into. 
Mm. To be be on be comfortable in this uncomfortable space where, where I'm not looking out, out into the office onto the shop floor and I can see my all my employees they're remote they're not 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 in my reach and I'm not in control yeah. of them if, if if that if that makes sense yeah the last book I have is from a good friend Doctor Doctor Fergus Connolly um, game changer Fergus was um, he lives in the states in San Francisco he's a he's a high performance consultant uh, he was with the 49ers he's with U- uh, University of Michigan. He was at Liverpool, he was at Wales, but he was also with the Dubs uh, in 2012 <laughs> with the 21s and uh, with me in 2013. He, my good friend Bernard Dunn, the boxer, when he won his, won his world championship um, belt, uh, Fergus was, was his high-performance coach and he introduced me to him in 2011. So uh, Fergus Connolly, game shift. Those involved in sport, in general, high-performance, couldn't but recommend that book. And as you can see, it's well tagged and it's, it's well tagged. It's well, well tagged. My coaching journey. So yeah. that's it. Thank you, Jim. Very Thank good. you, Jim. You, you've left me there. The one thing that stands out, though, greatness is a conscious choice. I yeah. think the, the opposite of that is also true, possibly. Failure is also part of a conscious choice. <laughs> Maybe that's the lesson that the, these big corporations, these these crumbling organizations need to think about if they're going to stop the rot. So thank you, Jim. Fascinating yeah. conversation. High performance. Uh, we got to wrap it up there, Brendan. Yeah, that another, was excellent. Another week. It's a shame to wrap that one up. We're getting educated every time we have these amazing guests. I, know, on. I could stay on all day. I know, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But this time we've got to go. I'll be talking to you after my US trip. Yeah, have a good after trip. After your Paris trip. We'll be talking to everybody again in a few weeks' time. Thank you and goodbye. Bye-bye.